0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reesmandel, and I'm so glad to be here with the full Radio Survivor team. With me here in the Portland, Oregon, studios is Eric Klein. Hello, everybody. We got the band back together. <laughs> we got the band back together. And joining us from San Francisco is Jennifer Waits.
1: Hello. I'm happy to be here.
0: And Matthew Lessar. Hello. Ditto to that. And uh, today we're going to take a look back at the year that was the year of 2018, and uh, kind of you know try to take a high level view and sum up what the year was for radio and sound. Um, spoiler alert: I think we're all pretty sanguine in many ways. Uh, we still love radio and sound. Well, not just because we love it, but because we think there's some good things there. There's but but I want to love. lead off with some good news. Yeah. Uh, Just uh, a couple of episodes ago, Eric, you reported on the Free Music Archive, which had announced that it would be shutting down imminently. Yes. The Free Music Archive
2: is a special project of WFMU where MP3s of all sorts of independent artists were available, uh, not just to listen to on their website, but also to download and also uh, uniquely to use in, in special projects. And it was a really cool thing of the you know second decade of the 21st
0: century that came out of community radio? Well, as of today, December 6th of 2018, the site is still online. They originally were saying they would shut down around about December 1st, but we have had word uh, officially posted to the Free Music Archive website and also distributed in WFMU's email newsletter that it looks like they have a new, what they call, creator's organization, which is going to take over the free music archive. Yeah,
2: it's good news. We you know if you listen to that episode it's it's still accurate. Like we kind of had a feeling that something good might come together, but also it is still a large transition for the organization. It's no longer going to be a part of the WFMU family and, I and think it's to, also going to have a different uh, staffing yeah. situation, you know, Cheyenne Homan, our guest both on episode 1. Well, of, we don't
0: know what what her involvement may be. We, right this is something we don't yet yeah, know. Yeah, you're looking at me cuz We'll see. Yeah, you but know things. Anyway,
2: Cheyenne Homan was on episode one of Free Music Arc of uh, Radio Survivor. Cheyenne Homan was a guest on episode one hundred and seventy of Radio Survivor, and it looks like they're not going to be continuing. But but like Paul said, uh, more news to come. More and news and to come. Happiness. December eleventh is yeah. when
0: they say that uh, there should be an announcement. Uh, but right now, uh, you can still go and find music and download it. Uh, they're not accepting new uploads for the moment until they get the new owner. Uh, nailed down. But uh, that is some good news uh, in in the wake of some uh, what was initially some very bad news about uh, free music, free of uh, strong copyright restraints, and free of needing to pay royalties to yeah. the record industry. It's just a
2: really unique presence on the internet that was like an echo of what community radio has brought to the airwaves. Uh, something new for the internet you know it's like a good experiment that that people like me really wanted to see succeed and so I'm very happy that they've uh, found a second life r- risen from the ashes and as maybe this is a
0: wake up call for people who love it uh, as a reminder to all of us that it will require our support right it it it
2: was it went it went under not because it wasn't popular but because it was too popular to support it cost money with nothing yeah, yeah it was such a it was such a useful website that it um that the bills were stacking up Without yep. grants and what's
0: not. Well, so let's talk about the year of twenty eighteen in radio. And I want to come out at this at at the start here and say that radio is strong. <laughs> the state twenty eighteen of radio is strong. Because we are talking about community <laughs> radio. We're talking about college radio, right. internet radio, we're talking about podcasting. I'm thinking about ears. I'm thinking about
2: individual ears and how Most people love listening to radio, and many of them might not know that people like us would call it
0: radio. Mm -hmm. They might call it podcasting. Right. But when they talk about peak TV, right, they're talking about Netflix. They're not only talking about what's on NBC or Fox now. They talk about Netflix and Amazon Prime streaming. It's all TV. And if that's all TV, it's all radio. I know that's something which Matthew has has made a very strong argument about. And 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 something I I wanna I wanna point out here, right, is that we, we we do talk about how there are some radio stations that go away. Uh, community stations, college stations. uh, Jobs go away. And really the station itself doesn't go away so much as that it it changes in nature. It gets sold and becomes maybe a Christian station or a networked station, a public station, and stops being kind of the soul of kind of a community or college station. But, and Jennifer, you you can certainly back me up on this assertion. While this has happened in 2018, we've also seen an influx of, of brand new stations, one, brand new college stations in particular, brand new community stations that are low power FM stations. But two, we've often seen spiritual uh, successors, right? We've seen low power FM stations come in uh, in many ways replacing in, 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 in the, uh, a station that went away, a college station Absolutely. in particular, right? And I, I see yeah. this as, as an unabashed great sign.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and in some cases, you might have changes at a station that are for the better for a community. So not all changes are, you know, in the direction maybe that we are afraid of. You know, sometimes it's a very positive move. So,
0: Do you have an example? Lo- can, I, can I put you on the spot? Do you have an example of a station oh. we can point to? Or are there too many? Uh,
1: well, I mean, I don't know the outcome of this yet, but... Um, you know, I know of a high school radio station that doesn't really have high school students involved, and and there are t- there's talk of change there, in which the station might be something that's really more relevant to the high school. So mm-hmm. I think that is is a very positive thing. Um, you know, some people might be sad about the loss of of the current format, but um, I, I do think it's a shame when there's a high school station. On campus or nearby campus that doesn't involve students, mm-hmm. so so things like that happen, um, which I think is great. And
0: sometimes there's like a net uh, and, and w- a one station going away results in there being two, right? Exactly. So so I'm I'm thinking uh, about uh, the University of San Francisco KUSF. Uh, exactly, there was a loss of the FM signal, but in its place is a vibrant and strong yeah. student-run internet station. And now, also, uh, people who were mobilized and 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 sort of right. woken up by the loss of the FM signal have put together uh, a low power FM community station. So there's really like this net gain. The, the in communities
2: radio. of people who these, loved these those successes stations. happened because people cared. Large groups of people cared a lot about their stations and were willing to rebuild things. Do a lot of hard work, and then you end up with more.
1: Right, and and there's interest in you know all three of those stations. You know the. The FM license was sold to one group, and that station continues. Um, And and all of those stations have their constituencies. And the new one you're talking about is KXSF in San Francisco, San Francisco Community Radio.
3: Well, uh, this is another example of this. Um, In the Santa Cruz area, um, everyone, I think, is still pretty sad about the fall of um, public community radio station KUSP, which um, tried to – pivot into an adult album alternative um, station but there just wasn't a lot of community support for it and it um it it went into bankruptcy and wound up getting sold to a christian network Um, and now um former kusp people are launching or trying to launch a new community radio station called ksqd the squid as it's as it's called and i did a piece um for radio survivor about um the classical music lineup that they're planning on having on the weekend they're still working on getting it on the air they're trying to lease transmitters some transmitter space from uc um santa cruz which has a college radio station as you know and i think that there's still fundraising issues Um, but it's really encouraging that you know once again to give you another example, one radio station comes down, another radio station um, goes up.
2: Yeah, and I I learned this year from listening to some archival tape from the uh, National Federation of Community Broadcasters uh, on a, on an episode of Radio Survivor in 2018 that that story uh, goes all the way back. We I listened to some tape of two two uh, community radio founders in 1969 talking about the same story that. That uh, radio would go away in the 1960s, and communities would uh, become energized by the loss of their station and create new stations. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a story as old as radio. I'm going to assume.
0: Yeah, it does really seem that way. And I, and you point out something here, uh, you know, that you heard this an archival tape, yeah. right? Because what had happened is uh, hundreds of tapes. Of, from community radio stations that had been exchanged, bicycled around to share programming during the 1960s, 1970s, and part of the 1980s, found a home at the University of Maryland where uh, the librarians there have gone and got grants to digitize, preserve, archive, and index all of this great history. Or wasn't it about
2: 10% of it? They need they need more money to, to archive the rest.
0: And yet we've seen this great leap forward, I think – In the history of radio being mined and preserved, we thought – Right, we're reconstructed, you know, valued really, un- right, and undoing some of the the, the dominant mar- narratives which have often centered, uh, you know, white men, and 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 we see more scholars doing research, helping to bring out communities of color, uh, you know, communities that may have been, uh, less privileged. Certainly, the role of women, and, you know, Jennifer, you serve on a uh, on a committee with the Library of Congress that is that is doing a lot of that work and bringing people. People together, and it seems to be uh, yielding a lot of results. And, and at least my, you know, having being having a ringside seat here, it seems like one of the the tremendously positive results is how it's a catalyst, right? By bringing together all these researchers and people who are thinking about uh, radio, in many of its forms, and archiving it. It's, I think, it's creating new spin offs and making people think about radio afresh. It, 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 am I on, on a limb here?
1: Yeah, you know, it's the Radio Preservation Task Force that I serve on, and it's a part of, um, you know, overall project about, you know, preserving audio heritage. And one of the mandates of the task force is to find recordings in danger and save them and also make them useful for educators So, you know, not just finding and preserving, but making sure that this material is used um, in a very meaningful way. And, And as part of that, a number of caucuses were set up with some of these interest areas, including women, including labor history, including college radio, community radio. So you're starting to see projects related to a lot of these themes where groups... And institutions are seeking grants in order to digitize some of these amazing recordings that have been unearthed or have just been sitting on shelves for years. And Jennifer, so,
2: Jennifer, you just mentioned the idea that um, that that not just preserving the tape was part of the mission, but also um, making it easy to access, especially for like you know for teachers, like high school teachers. Can you, can you talk more about that? Like the difference between uh, saving a piece of radio, you know, for history, but also keeping it accessible to everybody
1: yeah access is huge and and that's something that we talk about I think with Laura schnicker when we talk about the amazing community radio archive that is at University of Maryland um, she wants this material to be used and heard and it brings history to life uh, if you can hear you know these voices from the past you know interesting interviews um, it, community radio, is often at the forefront of these amazing moments in history and, and college radio is as well. And I, I'd love to hear more of the college radio, more of the archival material from college radio, which I think is even more difficult to, to put your hands on at times, but mm-hmm. um, it, it just tells these stories in, in such a different way. Um and, and yeah, it brings history to life. Or- what I really
2: loved about Laura Schnitger's archive and the project that they did to preserve all of this NFCB tape, all the National Federation of Community Broadcasters tape from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, is that you don't have to get on an airplane and visit the library and and, and walk through the doors. You don't have to have some kind of institutional support or uh, or independent financial wealth to to listen to this tape. It's there on the internet for us. And all you need to do is log in, sign up on their website, and then the material is yours to enjoy the same way as if you had been some kind of uh, fancy researcher from
0: decades past. It becomes as easy to get to as YouTube. Yeah. Right? And, and I think what's happened is we're, we're, we've got – people now are getting trained again to look to the internet for audio. I think podcasting has been one of the big drivers there, as has internet radio, Pandora, things like Pandora, things like Spotify. Apple Music have all pushed people into into you know turning the internet into an audio experience, right? So it's not just an experience in which you're staring at a phone or a screen, but that you're taking in uh, it it aurally, right? The whole smart speaker, smart speakers, right, which which
2: are uh, Alexa boxes and whatnot,
0: exactly, which are uh, flying off the shelves. We'll see what this Christmas season brings, but it looks as though uh, they're going to be very popular gifts. When do
2: we get? If I may just put a plug in for independent thought, can I get a smart speaker that's not. Uh, so the surveillance device? That's not connected to one of the three largest yeah, we- right? uh, Silicon Valley corporations. Like an open,
0: like, you know, sort of like an open source project yeah. where uh, it, it, you know, you have, uh, it goes to an AI that throws away the server logs, right? It, sure. That doesn't, that doesn't keep any data. I love that wish. That but would think- be lovely. I think what this points to, right, is, is that it, it's this rebirth in audio. It's this rebirth in, in consuming audio, which is radio. When you consume yeah. audio, uh, most of the time, in some ways, you were you were consuming radio. We're seeing that you know podcasting, of course, hits new heights in terms of the number of people listening, not just in the United States, but certainly across the English speaking world. Yeah, it, I really it, places I really like en- Sweden, places like
2: Brazil. I really enjoyed uh, what you talked about on the last week's episode, Paul, with with our friend in Brazil. That that the podcast. Are um, a very recent uh, emergence of you know popular media that people are just starting to understand. And and what uh, Alvaro was telling us was that it comes after Netflix in his community, right? That that Netflix sort of broke open the the seal for people to understand that streaming media was accessible, and, and now they're was getting entertainment, into streaming right, yeah. streaming radio content, which uh, they're in such a unique moment in their media and political and cultural landscape that it's a real. That was a good a, a good nugget.
0: And as we've noticed, it's it's, it's reawakened interest in forms like radio drama. It's oh, reawakened yeah. people you know, looking to looking to audio media as a way to stay informed. Yeah, there's, there's, as a, there's a, a typical way to podcast. Educated. Typical podcast thing for
2: me to talk about. In twenty eighteen we had a Amazon hit television show based on a hit podcast. Right, homecoming. Homeland, Homecoming, Homecoming, yeah, Homecoming. It was, you know, we it started as an audio drama uh, uh, in in 2016, I believe, and uh, and you know, got produced as a as
0: as hit streaming television content. And there was also a show called Lore, uh, which is more of an animated right. uh, based upon the podcast of the same name. Right, we're we're seeing uh,
1: and Dear John, and Dear, Dear John, John is John. on Bravo right now, based That's on a right. podcast,
0: uh, based Dear on John. real life, Dirty John. Dirty John. Dirty John, yeah, which is a true crime uh, podcast produced by Wondery and the Los Angeles Times turned into a, 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 I think it's a dramatized version of it, is now on Bravo. Um, You know, but I think that that is reawakening people's interest in audio in general. I point to that as part of the growth in radio. And and I'm going to throw one other thing out. On the other end of, of radio, pirate radio. Unlicensed radio in the United States continues to be an enormous thorn in the side of the Federal Communications Commission in places like especially the Boston area, the New York area, and and southern Florida. But all around the country, pirate stations cannot be put down. It it is a -a whack-a-mole game. Every time they they, they shut one down, there's three or four to replace it.
2: And and what that – You know, what we've, what here on Radio Survivor, as we've talked on episodes in 2018 and prior to that, you know, listen to any of our pirate radio episodes to get more information about this argument. But the argument has been made, and then we pretty much uh, are in agreement here in Radio Survivor that when a pirate radio station goes on the air in a community such as Boston or in Florida, this represents, uh, a community radio station striving to be born. These are people that that would follow the rules if the rules were easy enough to follow, to get on the air, but uh, things being what they are... In many cases, yeah. Yeah, things being what they are, they're getting on the air in any way possible. Uh, These are really interesting community radio stations... That are breaking the serve, rules.
0: Often serve language minorities, you know, Collateral languages you don't hear yeah. on the uh, on, on a commercial or even a lot of times comm- immigrant communities. Like, radio? Like brand new, fresh immigrant communities exactly. in,
2: in these cities that, that that depend on these radio stations for a lot of different things, a lot of things that you think of community radio being. Uh, These are really fascinating stations, that's my point.
0: And and, and back on the archiving tip, we saw the debut of David Gorin's Pirate Radio Sound Map this year. Uh, So this is an internet project where David Gorin, who is a journalist and researcher based out of Brooklyn, New York, uh, has taken his own recordings and archives of the very rich and vibrant Pirate Radio scene in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and – Turned into a map, so that you can kind of look at this map of Brooklyn and click through and listen to different pirates mm. that that have or do exist across uh, that borough of New York City. Um, you know, again, so that putting to the uh, test or, or allowing people to really experience it, not just hearing, oh, these are. Uh, These are hazards, they're causing problems, but to really catch the richness of culture, you know, and as we learned from David Gorin uh, earlier this year on the uh, podcast, uh, in terms of the development of hip hop radio in New York City, pirate radio was also Ah. uh, an important part of that scene of helping to to bring hip hop and rap music to the airwaves at a time when it was just starting to have some mainstream acceptability back in the 80s and 90s again
2: like the argument that you know a pirate radio station is just a community radio station uh, striving to to be born
3: right like, i mean that's
0: the whole history of, of sort of uh london pirates um, uh you know which yeah, brought, i was gonna bring that up yeah go ahead matthew
3: you know, one of the things that's interesting about London is is that there are certain areas. There there are a lot of pirate radio stations around um, the UK area, and um, but but they are really concentrated in certain neighborhoods and in certain boroughs of London. And many of them are focused around clubs. There are particular music clubs which launch pirate radio stations, or their followers launch pirate radio stations their patrons launch pirate radio stations and what's interesting to me about the uk and it's um an ofcom it's it's equivalent to the federal communications commission is that they they push their community radio initiative a lot i mean i haven't followed it in a while but when i last followed um the uk they were launching a community radio station every every two weeks or so um around around the island or, or islands um and um uh, they, they, the, the, line of the government was, you don't need pirate radio anymore. You don't need pirate radio anymore. There are enough community radio stations that are being launched on a regular basis. And then of course, in the UK, you can get temporary licenses, which is something that I doesn't, don't think you can really get here in the United States. No. In the UK, you can, you can get temporary licenses. Um, uh, and also, you know, they're using, you know, they're using that, you know, those digital satellite areas, um, as, um, Community radio, um, band, you know, opportunity. Yeah, bands. DAB,
0: digital they, audio yeah. broadcasting. Yeah,
3: right. Digital audio broadcasting. They're using that up there um, for that, and the government is much more proactively arguing that there's enough community radio space that you don't need pirate radio there. And it, it's curious to me that the government here doesn't do that.
0: Well, and what's crucial about the UK situation, as comparison, as compared to the US situation, is that in the UK having been a pirate does not disqualify oh. you from being a community broadcaster in the right. U S by law. If you were an unlicensed broadcaster, you may not be involved with the license of a community station. So
1: even well, though with wh- PFM, but with full with power, you're right, with low power, you FM. can.
0: That's right. No, you're right. You're, you're, you're pointing out very a very crucial distinction the, the easiest because license we to get is off the table for pirates. Right. and, yeah. and, you know one can argue that one of the reasons that low power fm in the united states was created to begin with was to help to address the pirate radio problem in the united states in and to 90s, address yeah. people who were going on the air as as an act of civil disobedience because they're saying you you won't give us licenses so we have no alternative and then congress stepped in uh to to uh, at the behest of the national association of broadcasters and npr to say that, uh, sure, but you can't have any record of having been a pirate. So essentially, said, okay, well, you can't, you know, be an unlicensed broadcaster. We're going to pull the rug out from under you and take away this escape valve the, as well. The thing that Matthew's
2: uh, anecdote um, excited for me is just the idea that, as I understand it, the the United Kingdom uh, even launching community radio stations at all is an interesting moment in in their radio history because. Uh, and it makes me want to um, sort of unpack the idea that the kind of radio we have here in the United States, where it's uh, extremely uh, corporate, uh, you know, one chunk of the spectrum is mostly owned by large corporations, by, and by
0: only about three or four of them, yeah, these yeah. days.
2: But um, every country is different. You know, radio radio grows up out of a out of a lot of different uh, soils that are that are both that both occur because of, you know, financial considerations, but also political considerations. And also, um, you know, these things are, these things are built brick by brick. There's
0: not just one form of radio, not any form of radio is natural yeah. or the, the only one. And, and we get these, we get these radios that we get
2: because people, uh, put in the work. And in it, anyway, in the United Kingdom is, am I wrong, Matthew, that, uh, the idea that a community radio station, you know, uh, independent of, of the government, is that's a relatively new form of
0: organizing a radio station.
3: Um I don't know. <laughs>
0: it is. I can I can tell you that it is. It is a relatively new form it, it dates back only within about the last decade in in the UK. There's lots of ways to make radio. Mhm. It absolutely is. So you are listening to Radio Survivor, and this is one way we make radio, and we're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reismandel. With me is Eric Klein here in our Portland, Oregon studios. Joining us from San Francisco are Jennifer Waits and Matthew Lassar. And today we're talking about radio in 2018. It's sort of our year in review. We're sanguine. We're happy. We mm-hmm. see uh, uh, what has been on on the whole if we look at if we look at the balance sheet it has been an incredibly positive year for radio and i need to take a quick break to tell you that radio survivor is supported by spinatron spinatron's web-based system helps non-commercial radio stations record and maintain music playlists spinatron includes features that let stations generate and publish top charts for any genre format or time frame Learn more at spinatron. dot com. That's s p i n i t r o n. dot com. And I want to tell everyone that you can follow up on all these stories. We'll have them compiled yeah,
2: at our website. Everything that we've talked about so far on this episode looking backwards at 2018 has been based on a full hour-long broadcast. It's based of, on
0: a broadcast or one of our blog here. posts. But yeah. we'll, we'll compile it so you have easy reference at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number 171. And I want I to turn over to Matthew. Uh because one of our most popular posts one of the most popular articles in twenty eighteen is something that you wrote called Thoughts on the Post Radio Is Dead Era. And it's an idea you threw at us on the podcast um about six, eight weeks ago. Yeah. And and it seems to have really resonated. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I um, had a little uh, back and forth with James Cridlin, who yes. is a radio futurologist. He's a journalist and radio uh, uh, consultant. He he now does a daily podcast newsletter called Pod News. Um, and it, when, when I pointed out this article to him, he wrote me back and he said that he was jealous that he hadn't written it. <laughs> and I would say that's, that's very high praise coming from James, James Cridlin. That's
3: very sweet of him to say that. Um, well, I mean I – we were talking about this, and I realized you know some some months ago that I was no longer seeing uh from the big media news outlets the endless pronunciation that radio was dead um, and i you know i i the, the and I realized that they had gotten tired of pronouncing it dead, given that it was no longer dead <laughs> but then i then I then I thought, uh, well, if it's no longer dead, uh, uh, what is it? And um, I, you know, I lecture. I, as you know, I'm a lecturer in U.S. history um, at UC Santa Cruz. One of my favorite quotes from uh, the post World War II era is Thomas Dewey's famous quote um, when he uh, lost the presidential election in 1948 to um, uh, to to Harry Truman. And um, somebody came here, came up to him afterwards and patted him on the back. Everybody thought he was going to win and said, don't worry, your political career um, is not dead. You're still alive. And he said in response, if I'm alive, what am I doing here? And if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) And a rather is a rather strange thing to say, um, um, especially for someone like like Thomas Dewey. But the point was, is that um, we seem to have we seem to have survived. All the predictions. Radio seems to have survived all the predictions of its imminent death. But the question becomes, you know, what is it now? And I came up with five or how many, five, five different thoughts about that. The, it, very quickly, I'll go through them. Um, thought number one is that radio can no longer be defined by any single transmission medium. Mm. Once upon a time, you associated radio with AM, FM. And as, I, as I've said to you before, in a sense i think that that period may have been anomalous i mean when we think about print we we read print in all kinds of different contexts why do we think that radio would only happen in um you know in 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 one kind of transmission me- medium now it's happening in all kinds of mediums you know digital am fm all kinds of kinds of digital com- coming all kinds of directions and and stuff like that second thing is is that radio i think that radio is really better understood as an idea than a technology. And my definition of radio is is that it's any form of audio transmission that seeks an audience. That is to say that it's any form of audio transmission that seeks um, a um, uh, one-to-many transmission in which it's one person broadcasting or one one source broadcasting um, to an audience. And those audiences, thought number three, are best understood as being conscious of themselves – that is to say, the best kinds of audiences are the are audiences um, that where when people listen to the content, they then talk to each other about the content, and they're very conscious of the fact that they're listening to this content through time. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Slate has this really um, nice podcast about um, the history of Watergate. I don't know how many of you listen yeah. to that. I um um. It's, uh, nice because,
2: it's nice because it's a documentary as opposed to you know, three smart dudes talking about it off the top of it's their like head. It's Slow Burn, I think, is yeah, what it's, a, it's called. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a scripted show with lots of uh, audio cuts and lots of, and, lots of hard and work.
3: I, I listened to it with great um, love and attention, and um, some of my teaching assistants in some of my classes, graduate students, listened to it, and we would talk to each other about the various episodes as they, as they happened, and – you know it was one of the first exa- i mean i've been listening to podcasts but that was really one of the first examples where i felt like i was part of a you know a community and an audience of people listening to a particular podcast most of the podcasts i'd listened to i just sort of listened to on my own and i don't have a conversation with anybody about them yeah. but in this case i really felt like i was moving through time and uh, with the with, with with other people at uc santa cruz and we were talking about this um podcast and, and i think that in the post-radio debt is dead era, you know, real time is now changing. You know, one of the things you guys, it's really interesting to me is, is that what I teach a course called wired nation, which I taught this quarter um, for the first time in years and years and years. I don't know why I wound up, (laughs) excuse me, teaching it again, but I did. And I was happy, you know, happy that have the opportunity to, to teach it. And one of the things I have to explain to my students is that once upon a time, there was a world in radio and television in which if you didn't tune in at a particular time, yeah. you missed you, you missed the thing. And, period. And Forever. Period. Period. <laughs> period. You know, and and you know, they look – but you know, these kids, you know, God bless them, 18, 19 years old, they look at you and they're like, "No way." Right. You know, you know, whoa, brute, you know, the brutality of the past, you know. Um and you know, I described for example Missing an episode when I was a child missing an episode of the outer limits, and you know because I fell asleep and when I woke up going into a total you know crying fit over it I mean it was really interest it was really interesting yeah I now, had to, everything
2: I, I had to explain to my twelve year old recently that growing up, I had no problem if if i if i am enjoying if i'm a fan of a television program. I am perfectly comfortable watching episode three first and then getting into episode seven next and trying to keep up. But if I, he has to watch every show in order or it's not even an experience worth having.
3: And yes, and so you've got to sort of um, explain that um, to students. So today, um, real time, you know, it used to be that you watch things in, or listen to things in real time. Now everybody listens to things in on-demand time. That is to say it it shows up and you can listen to it when you want to. But given how excited people are about certain kinds of content, they try it as much as they possibly can to listen to it as soon as it comes out. So that on-demand time is sort of becoming a another an extended stretched out version of real time this Well, it, you know so, it's it's, right? it's
0: almost like a dickens novel that was digested in the newspaper i mean the newspaper is for all intents and purposes on demand it's not it's right. not a, a synchronous sort of medium and yet people were rushing to the newsstand sure. or rushing to their front door to get that week's newspaper it, to, to read the next uh the next chapter and it becomes harder story. to
2: get last month's newspaper. You have to right. start digging around right. well, other yeah. people's trash. But, and
0: also because you wanted I mean, I you know, that perhaps there was no water cooler in Dickensian times but uh, around the teapot, around the tea kettle or something, uh, people wanted to be able to discuss it and, and and how the story was progressing. I think we saw the same phenomenon with, with the podcast Serial yeah. and, and, and some of the other podcasts that we've mentioned, say like uh, Dirty John which has now been turned into a Bravo show. Yes, I mean, think that, yes, that, that's yes. an interesting observation there, there Matthew, especially the, the, that sort of self-same uh, ability to reflect upon it. Jennifer?
1: And with social media, you know, we all experience this where we're afraid to go on social media (laughs) if there's a particular sports score that we don't want to hear or if we don't want to hear, you know, who won The Bachelor or, you know, whatever (laughs) the exciting thing of the moment that you want to be, you want to keep in suspense about.
0: We're seeing that in podcasting as well. Absolutely.
3: And finally, Thought number five is is that um, radio. I think radio finds itself in this new landscape, in a much more competitive place with television. I think it radio had. I mean, radio's has always been far more enmeshed with other media technologies um, than television. You know, back in, back in the you know you when you think of radio, you think of it with cars, hi fi stereos, clocks. Um, boom boxes you know you you, you but you didn 't think of television as enmeshed with other kinds of technologies mm-hmm. as just another app, but today television has really been transformed into in some ways just another feature of um of of mobile phones and tablets and computers it has in a sense television has been literally and figuratively reduced to just one of the boys in mm-hmm. a way that it I mean television back when I was a kid was the thing you know it was a, you you got a TV set and all the TV set did was be a TV set um now television is you know part of an array of other features just like radio and i think that in that in that way i think that radio is much more competitive with television now mm-hmm. than it used to be um I um, finished off the post with a um, funny little poem by Odgin Nash, which I think is relevant, which I will now read to you. Um, At midnight midnight in the museum hall, the fossils gathered for a ball. There were no drums or saxophones, but just the clatter of their bones. Rolling, rattling, carefree circus of mammoth polkas and mazurkas, pterodactyls and brontosauruses, sang ghostly prehistoric choruses amid the mastodonic... Wassel, I caught the eye of one small fossil. Cheer up, sad world," he said and winked. It's kind of fun to be extinct. <laughs> and I think, and I think that um, radio is hap- radio is having a lot of fun um, being dead.
0: Yeah, it's given people uh, <laughs> license to experiment. I yeah. think it's given, uh, allowed people to, to to think about it freshly. And, and you know, noting that sort of uh, the way that TV is now just an app and now radio is, is also an app. The interesting thing about radio competing with television is that there's all these places where television just simply is inappropriate. It's inappropriate to watch television while you drive. In many cases, it's difficult or inappropriate to do so on public transport um, or while gardening or doing... Doing housework, or or you know, if you were a postal worker on the job, you probably can't watch a video, but you can probably, as you as you as you, if you're a mail carrier, yeah. listen to a uh, radio or a podcast.
3: It's perfectly fine, by the way, to watch TV during my lectures. Um, um, he <laughs> said <it> bitterly, <laughs> um,
2: Matthew, <laughs> your you're, uh, the way that you framed um, the post-death of radio reminds me of what I wanted to talk about. In, in the looking back that we're doing here on Radio Survivor at the year that was, 2018, and something that uh, occurred to me this year based on just um, working on these episodes of Radio Survivor or listening to episodes of Radio Survivor that, that you folks have worked on is the idea that, um, well, it starts with the first the notion that we're not going to talk about podcasts and radio being different worlds anymore that we're we're done with that and i think when we started radio survivor we I, early on i know jennifer you brought us a, a, just a little story that never left me about how apple had probably spent millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out with marketing geniuses what to call their new streaming service and they couldn't come they up, up they couldn't come up with a word that wasn't radio and you know we've also talked uh recently and in the past about um the history of podcasts and how um how the different there are different stories there are different histories uh different groups of people can claim different innovations for building this thing calling called podcasts and i wanted to sort of tie it all together today and then see what you guys thought of this notion that i think that uh One of the reasons why radio was pronounced dead is because a lot of people stopped listening to it, and especially, let's just take me as an example. When I was a young person, I stopped listening to radio because it got bad. It got less and less good, but we've also talked about on Radio Survivor how lots of people stopped listening to radio as different radio stations uh, were sort of stripped of all of their human jobs. You know, If somebody who is not in your city is giving you the traffic report, you start to find out more and more <laughs> reasons to stop listening. They don't even know the names of the streets where you live. And that's just one example of...
1: And then young people probably never started. A lot of young right. people probably never started because they might not have found things of interest on the commercial dial and yes. then, you know, didn't look further.
2: Yeah, so as commercial radio dies in the 90s, uh, that's when, you know, they, we, have, we have an era where radio is on the decline, and then because the internet, we have an era where new voices come in from a completely different direction. And it's, it's my new uh, strongly held opinion. It's almost so obvious that I don't get to feel that special to say it out loud. But that one of the histories of podcasting that I think is, is worth exploring more is that relationship between uh, the loss of diversity on the airwaves, the loss of jobs, all of the places that people were denied a microphone – coming along at the same time that the internet provided a new place for them to speak into microphones and find their audiences. And I think that that's a really important part of um, why podcasting uh, became so popular and still is so popular is that um, these are radio jobs that that shouldn't... These are like the ghosts of the radio jobs that never were, like coming back to haunt listeners. Like we... These are voices that, um, that have found their audiences despite radio being uh, uh, killed off.
1: Well, then, I, and then I think if you extend that to low power FM, you know, some people were trying things out in podcasts or streaming radio stations, and then they had an opportunity to apply for a low power FM license. So we've seen this growth of diversity in community radio, too, with uh, all of these low power FM stations that have launched all over the country.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and I mean, I, I think that's, it's important to look at it. You are looking at it from this political economic standpoint, right? Um, and it, it's, it's hard for us to remember that in, say, 1990, uh, most radio stations had full staffs of people, not just shared across four or five stations, but full on-air staff, including staff overnight, right, who were, who yeah. were broadcasting. Yeah,
2: there are human beings at nighttime now,
0: making radio worth listening to. Now, the to. industry skewed very male and very white. I, I think we should note that in sort of in, in the ghosts of, of radio's past, what we're seeing now is also an opportunity and change up. Right. Where in podcasting, low power. Sure, sure. Lots of people would say good riddance. Uh, to the, to the industry. I mean, industry. There, there probably is a lot yeah. of that, right? You know, and, and it's unfortunate that it requires a sort of almost hollowing out of the broadcast commercial side of the medium. Because yeah. in that same time, while we saw that hollowing out, we've seen growth in, say, public radio in the United States overall. We've seen overall growth and expansion. Um, as well as, you know, community radio, low power FM, they tend not to have so many jobs. By comparison, they yeah, tend to be same, volunteer. The same at the with podcasting and but, but but there's a lot of jobs in podcasting sure. right now. Um, and I and I, I have not done the analysis. I can't step out and say, you know that that we're one for one. Uh, that is one for one. Yeah. You know, and and, and you know it, the disruption is is too significant. I think, but I I think I think you can make that argument. I think I mean the
2: the reason this came up at all is when we had a, a the most recent discussion on Radio Survivor about the history of podcasting. We did talk about. Uh, some of the founding fathers of podcasting are white men that had great radio jobs and lost them and
0: kept their audiences on the internet radio. Uh, And then those obscure the stories of of people who were not uh, already popular white men who lost their radio jobs, right? Because again, they're they're sort of pre-existing notoriety fame uh helped to carry you know put wind in their sails compared to somebody maybe who was uh starting fresh with podcasting as their as their original audio medium so you're listening to radio survivor we're here for the love of radio and sound i'm paul reese Mandel. joining us uh from san francisco is jennifer Wade. say hello jennifer Hello. (laughs) So glad you're here. Also, Matthew Lassar is joining us from San Francisco. Hello there. And with me here in our Portland, Oregon studios is Eric Klein. Hello. And if you have any comments about anything you heard about on today's show, do drop us a line. We love getting email and we're we're really good. And, and so and so many of, of the ideas for shows are pitched by our listeners uh, and our fans and followers. So drop us a line, send us an email to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I want to note at this point as we're doing this review of twenty eighteen and noting that a radio is not only alive and well, but thriving in 2018, the State uh, of the Union is good. The State of the Union is good. We, we haven't talked much about the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the, the federal authority in charge of radio in the United States. We're going to do that next week. We'll have on our FCC watcher, Professor Chris Terry from the University of Minnesota. Uh, a lot went on. It's going to take a little bit of the wind oh, out of our sails. Oh here. well, yes and no, because there's some there's some notable victories. Ah. Although we always have to sort of keep our finger on the pulse. We cannot let the FCC out of our sights. So he's going to be on next week's yeah, show. So much.
2: There's so much that can be undone
0: or. Uh, quickly messed up with the policy change. Yeah, so, so we're paying attention, so you'll definitely want to uh, pay attention to that. A,
3: bit, a big question. The big question is, what's Vladimir Putin's position on net <laughs> neutrality? That's, a,
0: uh, that's
3: what I want to know. What is
2: the pipeline there? And, do, and, do I have to say that that was sarcasm? <laughs> I think I do in this day and age, even even though you have the pleasure of hearing Matthew Lazar's voice as opposed to uh, seeing that as a Facebook text Sarcasm. Hashtag and, sarcasm. And,
0: and let me encourage you uh, to make sure you don't miss any of these episodes. If you use an iPhone or iOS device, go ahead into the podcast app and subscribe. It's actually free. They use the word subscribe, but it costs you nothing. If or if you use Stitcher, or if you use Radio Public, if you use Pocket Cast, whatever your favorite podcast app is, if you would go ahead and you would favorite us or subscribe, then you'll get the episode every week and you'll never miss anything. And it helps us out. lot it also means people in that app are more likely to discover the show and if you can give us a holiday present
3: Ah. it is tell
0: somebody else about radio survivor uh, or subscribe if you haven't already uh so that more people can can find uh this here little little show and and i want to talk about you know some of uh radio survivors year in review a big, next year, we will celebrate a decade of existence at Radiosurvivor.com. Uh, we've been doing this show for more than three years as a podcast and radio show. And uh, we started distributing the show as a radio show to non-commercial stations, community and college stations around the country in, in 2017. And, and though now we're up to about 18 fm stations that are carrying the show we have three internet radio stations and three part 15 stations so little uh legal low-powered stations that don't have a license are all carrying radio survivors the am radio stations he asks uh well there are almost no euphemism. am radio stations that are that are community yeah. or um college <laughs> stations. my 12
2: year old son again if i may mention him as like market research uh literally declared that there was no such thing as AM radio to me oh, the other what? day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> remind me to scan the dial with you. You're not wrong, but you're not right. I
0: think we have a radio Disney affiliate still here oh. in, in, uh, in Portland. You know, uh, I'm I, I wrong, but they're not like talking
2: it. about dungeons and dragons on the AM radio dial. Then uh, my particular sixth grader is not involved,
3: and and so talking AM radio about, denialism.
0: <laughs> talking about uh, obscure and nearly and, and, and supposedly dead radio formats, our most popular episode of the podcast is measured by downloads. As a recent one. It's number 168, which is a time machine for all the radio plus shortwave. And this is an, uh, an interview that you, Eric and Jennifer, you both did together, uh, with the person who is the proprietor of the shortwave listening post blog, all about the software defined radio and the ability to record everything going on in the AM dial or shortwave dial. At once. Yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer.
2: The Radio
1: Spectrum Archive. Yeah. yeah. Jennifer
0: brought this
2: notion of, of uh, yeah, talk about gr- a gift under the tree. What a weird thing that we didn't know existed that really sort of changed the way we thought about uh, uh, archiving radio. Really. And excited listeners, too, apparently. Yeah. Je- uh, Jennifer, do you want to, I mean.
1: Oh, well, yeah, we talked to Thomas Witherspoon, and, and it turns out that. There were people in the past making these time machines for radio and and making similar spectrum recordings. But they were doing on, it
0: more uh, like they were just recording station by station. They couldn't just take a big no, snapshot, right? No. Uh, uh, oh,
2: that's right, that's right. That's that, right. That's right. That people who were basically train spotters or plane spotters, but their radios using spotters, like like
0: high five VHS tape, use, right? yeah. yeah. They yes. made, made a
2: spectrum archive in the late eighties just so that they could, uh, you know claim DX. credit for hearing an
0: overseas am radio station uh, so uh, later on yeah. if you haven't heard that one go back uh episode number 168 radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and jennifer this year you have toured 17 radio stations
3: wow
1: yes but i've only 17. written up six <laughs>
0: And so we've so I'm behind. There's 11 to be written up includes five high school stations. I have to admit I only toured uh, three (laughs) this year. And That's I, I've okay. Only written, I've only written up one. I may, That's okay. I may, I may yet get to write up Radio Parati, uh, where, where, which was the subject of of last week's episode in Brazil in São Bernardo do Campo. Yeah, such an exciting world
2: of community radio taking place in Brazil, where it really is a brand new sort of uh, space on the dial. Not super brand new, right. but relatively. As, as relatively, you know, when we talk about radio in the United States and even community radio in the United States it goes back to people uh, before I was born it goes
0: back right to the it goes back 50 plus years yeah. and it's a much but more but in Brazil it's phenomenon. more brand new you know and this year we did we did for the first time a live episode and we couldn't just stop at one we did three live episodes of Radio Survivor live in front of an audience not live broadcast over the radio that's right that's right we always had to clarify that in fact when we booked I think the first one they were confused and like oh do we need internet connection I'm like oh no 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 we're just we're going to record it but we'll have an audience we did we did so uh Radio survivors recorded live in front of a studio audience. That's right. We were at the Grassroots Radio Conference uh, here in Portland, Oregon in October for a fantastic conversation about uh, what community radio looks like in five years. We were at uh, College Broadcasters Inc. Convention uh, at the end of October in Seattle for a uh, – really, for me, it was an amazing conversation about College Radio's role in the modern – Uh, media landscape talking with uh, a couple of of just super impressive college radio broadcasters um, from uh, Fort Collins, Colorado and, and San Francisco, California. I learned so much. uh, So that's, I think there's so much for anyone at a low power FM station, anyone at a community radio station, or really a podcaster to learn from what these uh, students had to say, and, and especially their focus on localism and serving communities. So that that was an amazing uh, thing as well.
2: Yeah, and I want to uh, you know just make a sh- uh, you know underline that one of our guests for the grassroots radio conference. Uh, broadcast live episode Vanessa Maria Graeber who runs Philly cam uh who was, it was that was the second time Vanessa was a guest on radio survivor and just um the way that they approach the job of running a, a brand new community radio station and the energy they bring to it and the um the the, the drive that they have to train new people to do mm. the work of producing community and, and to train
0: them about community radio in general yeah. right to, to, to make sure that they understand us and i'm uh, i'm going to pop in matthew you need to leave us so we want to say goodbye thank you so much for joining us
3: thank you as always and um i'll be talking to you all very soon uh we've still got a few more minutes to go here
0: uh and so i wanted to uh throw to jennifer because let's go all the way back to january of 2018 let's uh, sort of look in our rearview mirror and um you you pointed out to us uh, as we were preparing uh, that we got some pretty good notice uh, at the beginning of this year.
1: Yeah, um, Radio Survivor was mentioned in a New York Times article about the growth of low power FM, which was really exciting. And and I think a lot of people ended up sort of learning about Radio Survivor through that article, which had had kind of an emphasis on the explosion of low power FM stations in the Pacific Northwest in particular. Yeah, so. especially Seattle,
2: right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like yeah. if there was ever a city that was uh, ground zero for for this new kind of radio to burst out into the world, I mean, Seattle really is a special yeah, Washington, special case. Florida,
0: and California are three of the states that really lead in terms of the number of low power FM stations that have gone on the air since 2013. Because they're... um. New urban stations, like a space
2: was made on the dial for people in cities to yeah. get a new, yeah, a new which space. We didn't,
1: yeah, we didn't expect, and and you know, and that's continued throughout 2018 as well. And you know, I went to a launch event for KXSF LP in San Francisco, and there were people there who who came because how often do you get to see the launch of a brand new radio station? Yeah. So, you know, that the low power FM launches continue, there's still some stations yet to launch. So it's been great to be a fly on the wall to see the continued growth of low power FM.
0: Yes. And it's something which here at radio survivor, we've taken very serious. We covered extensively from the very uh, beginning of this last window, this opportunity that people had to apply to the FCC to get low power FM licenses, which, which was uh, a little more than five years ago, as we sit here in December of 2018. Um, and we have seen, and we, I declared last year, I continue to stand by my declaration that it's the single greatest growth in non-commercial and community radio, uh, Ever seen on the planet Earth in 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 one fail swoop? Yeah, and these are new stations. In, and I'll fight you if you. These if you, are new stations <laughs> in the, in the, in North I America, you, in the United States. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. uh, A lot of growth.
0: It's a lot of growth. And so we'd love to hear from you. You know, uh, Tell us, what do you think? What do you think of radio in 2018? Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We're also on social media. We're on uh, Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Uh, We'd be glad to hear from you. We also have even a listeners group on Facebook. Um, If you just go, go to Radio Survivor, you search Radio Survivor on Facebook, you will find it no problem. And of course, anything we've talked about on today's show will be in our show notes, radio survivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number 171. Uh, Jennifer Waits, uh, thank you so much for all your contributions to uh, radio survivor.com this year, as well as your super significant, uh, contributions as a co-producer of the podcast uh you've brought us so many amazing topics yeah my favorite episodes of the year were were guests that you brought to the to the show and 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 again one oh, of the thank you the most popular uh episode uh so far this year uh number 168 is is a guest that you brought to us so your contributions are immeasurable thank you so much for oh, uh, sure being i love it And Eric, I want to say thanks to you as well for your uh, diligent efforts at editing and taking uh, this show, which is sometimes, uh, you know, clocking in at an hour 15 or an hour 20 and making sure we have 59 minutes for our affiliates. And also sometimes bonus content and amazing stuff for the people who are listening online. I really appreciate uh, that this podcast would never have even started if I'd never met you. So thank you so much for yeah, your contributions. Well, making radio. It's what I've, what I do. And if you'd like to help support radio survivor, we are a listener and reader supported enterprise. Uh, There's more information at radiosurvivor.com slash support. My name is Paul Riesendel and I want to say thank you for spending another hour with us.
2: Yeah. I, hey, Hey, Thank you, Paul,
0: for helping make Radio Survivor uh,
2: live and thrive. It is my pleasure.